Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning uh, with you, if you would find uh, 2 Samuel. And as you're finding 2 Samuel, I just want to remind you that uh, hopefully you will stop by on your way out and uh, to see the display honoring those who are currently serving. Uh, Please don't forget as as, uh, that uh, we celebrate Memorial Day, uh, that if you have any of those that are uh, in your family that were killed in action uh, or missing in action, to please let uh, David Dykstra know and get those out there. We want to honor those uh, individuals as well. Uh, regardless as of what one political party would tell you, I think we should still celebrate those who are willing to serve and to die for their country, those who are willing to serve and defend those who put their line on the line as police officers, firefighters, EMTs, etc. Amen? Amen. And so today I want to talk to you about who is in charge of your life. And the one topic that none of us ever wants to address in our life is the topic of authority. Um, All of us have had bad experiences with authority at some point in our life. Uh, Maybe it was a bad boss at work. Maybe you were raised in an abusive family. Uh, Maybe you have been uh, stuck behind uh, a government that is not very godly. But most of us, when we think of authority, our mind immediately becomes negative. Unless we are talking about our authority. And then, if we're talking about our authority, there are no problems. Right? That's why... We hear that when the Bible says, do all things without disputing and complaining. It is a verse that I love to quote to others, but do not like for it to be quoted to me. But today I want to talk to you about authority in your life. Because what we see in the church of America today and in the lives of all of us is a struggle with authority. It is because sin leads to rebellion. It started in the garden. You can read through the Old Testament, you can read through the New Testament, that all human beings struggle with rebellion. We struggle with it because we see it in the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. It's not just a struggle with other people. We see right in the very beginning, right, to have no other gods before me. And so rebellion is something that we struggle with at home, we struggle with at work, and we struggle with... In God, And today as we celebrate our graduates, they are at a point in their life where they are trying to decide what comes next. And for each and every one of them, the greatest advice that we could give them is to recognize the authority that God has in their life and that what He wants for them. But if we're honest today, that's not just a graduate thing. That is for each and every one of us. And I think sometimes the longer we serve God and the longer we are believers, the more that we are willing to defy the authority of God. You say, wait a second, Jake, that doesn't make any sense. The longer I serve God, I should be willing to come more and more under His authority. But can I tell you what I find myself doing the longer I serve the Lord from time to time? I know that's what God's Word says. But it's in Leviticus. Or I know what God's Word says, but it's, it, it's the gospel. That, that's the only focus. And so these other areas of my life that I know that God's Word speaks to, 
I like to put them in a category of it's important, but it's something I'll deal with later. I just got to get the big things figured out first. But this morning I want to show you that the Bible is the authority of God. And it is the authority on everything. And every part of it is God's Word to you and I. And so this morning as we're looking at David's life, David has the victories. David is, is at a place now where he is established. David has everything the way it should be going. What comes next? A struggle with authority. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read this verse to you this morning. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God is the authority in our life today and He gives us a blueprint to that authority through His Word. As a church, I, as a pastor, I have been in enough committee meetings, I've been in enough deacon meetings, I've been in enough business meetings to hear this phrase, I think, I feel, I want. But what this church needs to remember, and what I have to remember, is I need to hear first and foremost, what does God say? What does God say to me as a husband? What does God say to me as a father? What does God's Word say to me as a pastor? And as long as God's Word says it, and we will apply it and study it in its, its right place and in its right manner, we can understand and trust that God will bless His Word. You say, well, Jake, that's great, but things are different now than they were and so we have to adapt to the ages. Well, I would like to read one more verse to you this morning before we jump into our text from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so this morning as we look in a world that has no idea what authority means, Right? Some people will say authority is your feelings. Some people will say authority is what makes you happy. Some people will say make decisions based on what you want. But how do we, as people who serve God and love God and follow God, get to a point where we can say, God, I trust you enough to let you be in control of my life. God, I trust you enough to lead me and guide me and direct me to where you want me to be. How do we get that way as a church? To say, God, we trust that you can use us. God, that you can work through us if we will just trust you in every way. And so today I want you to pray with me, and then we'll begin to study through our text. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I trust that it is your word and not mine. Father, today I pray that you would forgive me for my sin, my failures, my mistakes, Lord, my doubt and unbelief. Father, today I pray that you would speak to your people through the preaching of your word. God, that you would deal with your people through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God, that you would just glorify yourself in every area today. God, I pray this morning that as we each and every one of us, Lord, need to submit to you, 
God, that you would help us, that you would deal with us, and that you would use us for your glory. And God, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about what's going on in David's life. Because at this point in David's life, he is in a place of celebration. He is in a place of worship. He is in a place where God has been so, so good to him. And this morning, I hope that that's where you're at in your life. I hope that you can say today, God has been good to us. God has been good to us as a family. God has been good to me as an individual. God has been good to us as a church. God has been good to us. Because this morning I want to show you what we see from David's life here. We should worship God for His blessings. We should be a people who are singing God's praise. Not just on Sunday morning, not not just in Sunday school, but as we go into wherever God sends you this week, you ought to be talking about the goodness of God, about what He has been doing in your life, about how He has blessed you. You say, Jake, I have nothing to be thankful for. You could have been born in Afghanistan. You could have been raised in Pakistan. You could have been so different than you are today. And so how bad it seems if you are here today and know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you have more blessings than almost 6 billion people on the planet. I think there's 7 billion people on the planet, not sure, but it's a big total. And if 6 billion of them for sure we know do not know Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, and there's a million or a billion who claim some form of Christianity, let's just say there are 30% of those people who are really saved. You are better than most of the world if you know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you have nothing else to be thankful for, you have that. And so let's look here as David begins to celebrate God's blessings in his life. Starts in verse 1 of chapter 6. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on symbols. So what happens is the Ark of the Covenant, and we don't have time to go into all the details of the Ark of the Covenant, but it is not like what you saw on Indiana Jones, okay? It's not, that's probably the first image that comes to your mind if you are over the age of 30, uh, Indiana Jones, Ark of the Covenant. But what it is, it was a special box that God had gave specific instructions that he would use to minister to the people of Israel, that his presence would be above it in the tabernacle, would be above it in the temple. He gave them specific instructions for how to build it, about five feet by two feet. And you can read all of that in the Bible, but it was a special, significant, holy thing. 
And so what happens is, if you remember a few uh, chapters ago in the last book that we read, uh, 1 Samuel, the, the ark had been captured by the Philistines. Uh, they had taken it to their home and celebrated it, but yet the, the, their, their gods and their statues would fall before it. Their towns would get sick. They would be overcome by plague. And they said, we don't want this thing anymore. It's ruining our life. It's ruining our nation. And so they put it on a cart. They send it back to Israel. And where it stands was at Abinadab's house. And it had been there for most likely eight, nine, ten years. We don't know for sure. But David realizes something. The ark of God is where God's presence is going to be. And we want that to be in our town of worship. Jerusalem. We want it to be here. We want it to be where God can honor and bless and work. And so David takes all of Israel. And I want to skip the significance of this this morning. Think about what it would have looked like in the pictures after World War I as the soldiers and the troops came home and you see cities like New York that were just lined with people. Everybody was celebrating. Everybody was rejoicing. You can look at pictures from the end of the Second World War and the cities are lined full of people and they're celebrating and they are rejoicing that they have been victorious and the soldiers are coming home. And so this morning I really want you to know this, that all of Israel is celebrating because God has established David. God has given them victory over the Philistines. God has extended their borders. God has been so good to them in every single way. And so it's time for them to honor Him through worship. To celebrate the goodness of God. And I want you to listen to what Psalms 103 says. Psalm 103 describes it like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord. This morning, the greatest need from God's people is to praise Him, to honor Him, to celebrate Him. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings to worship Him. Now, it is for our benefit because we hear the preaching of God's Word. We experience the fellowship of God's people. But really, what today about, it is not about you and it is not about me. It is about coming out of gratitude and thanks to the God who loves us. Who the God who could have said, you are all sinners, you are all wicked, you have all made a mess of things. I do not want a relationship with you. I don't need you. But God says He wants us to praise Him. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to know us. He wants us in His situation. God wants us to worship Him. The angels worship Him better than we can. But why does God want the praise of His people? Because you and I are made in His image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you specifically. And even though sin breaks up who we are and separates us from God, God still has a love for mankind 
that I do not understand. Because I don't know if you do this or not. I look out at mankind sometimes and think, broken mess. And sometimes I look out and say worse than that, but I can't say from up here. Why? Because it's wicked. And it's a mess. And life is difficult. And people are challenging. But yet God says to praise Him. To worship Him. Parents, the greatest thing you can do for your children is tell of the goodness of God to them. How He has been with you. How He has saved you. How He has taken care of you. How in the difficult moments of life, He sustained you. In those moments when there was no hope, there was no answer, there was no way out, that God was still there. You need to be the one that is telling them that because the world will tell them that we live in a society where God can't be real because there is cruelty. And we can't serve a God who is good because of sickness and pain and death and heartache. The world will tell them that God does not deserve their praise. That God does not, does not worthy of their praise. That God should not have their praise. But friends, it should be you who is telling them God blessed us God's been with us. God's been good to us. That many times that you should be reminding them that God gave them to you. That God has given you the privilege of being their parent. Not the burden of being their parent, but the privilege of raising them. And so this morning David says we're going to praise God. We're going to worship God. All of us as a nation are going to celebrate Him. But the second thing I want to show you this morning is we should worship God and listen to His commands. Now, I don't like to quote a lot of different things. From time to time, I will. But I want you to listen to this quote from Yoda. You're saying, that Yoda? Yes, that Yoda. Do or do not, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. How many of us have ever heard someone say, but I meant well? Maybe you've even said that in your own mind as you have tried to help somebody and you said something you shouldn't have said or you did something you shouldn't have said and you said, man, I really meant well. You see, David means to worship God well, but David does not worship God in the way that God wants him to. And what we see today in the church, and what we see from most people, let's just be honest, even ourselves, is that we want to worship God whatever is convenient for me. I'll worship God however I want, however I feel, because He is my God and I am His person. Well, this morning I want you to know that you ought to worship God, but you have to worship God His way. Because even though we don't like to recognize it, God is the authority on worshiping Himself. God is the authority on how He wants to be praised. God is the authority on how things should be done. And so look here in verses 6 through 8. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir. And he died by the ark of God. And David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah 
to this day. You say, wait a second. The oxen stumbled. The oxen turned to the side. The Ark of the Covenant, which was on the cart, begins to fall. And a man who means well puts his hand on the Ark and God strikes him dead on the spot. These are one of those verses that most pastors just skip over because they don't preach verse by verse. But when you preach verse by verse, word by word, if I was to skip this one, you would probably know something was wrong. And so he reaches out, he touches the Ark of the Covenant, and God strikes this man dead on the spot. And you say, wow, Jake, that's an extreme response. But this morning I want you to hear something. God is the authority on everything. And God sets the standard for everything. And in the Old Testament, we know that He has told them that He is too holy for His presence and theirs. He is too holy for them to be in His presence to worship Him. That's why the high priest could only go in one day of the year. That's why they were not able to look and to see. Because why? Even though we have devalued God, and even though we have tried to bring God down to our level, And even though we try to get excuses for God, God is not like us. God is holy, and He is perfect, and He hung the stars in the sky, and He is all-powerful, and He is all-knowing. And if God wants to do anything, He can do it. And so this morning you say, but Jake, how do you explain this? Well, one, this was not without warning. You see, the children of Israel were told how to move the Ark of the Covenant. Specific instructions that God would honor. In Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 13, And you shall make poles of Achaia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles and the rings of the side of the Ark, that the Ark may be carried by them. God said the Ark's going to have to be moved from time to time. And so there were holes, rings on each side of it, And God said, I want you to take these poles and I want you to overlay them in gold. And you will run that pole through each side of the holes. And four men on each, one man on each corner will pick that up and you will carry it this way. You will carry it in such a way that will honor God and please God. But yet when David decides to move the cart and David decides to move the ark, there are two words there that don't go together. Ark and cart. God said, move the ark on the poles. And David didn't obey. You see, Uzzah's death was not just a result of him trying to help. It was a result of David not doing what God had asked him to do. Now, I want to say this this morning because it's something we don't like to talk about. Friends, the choices you make today can bring consequences for those around you Tomorrow, no matter the best of intentions. Parents, you have been given the gift of raising your children. And how you raise them today will have blessings tomorrow or consequences. You say, Jake, but it's not that big of a deal. Why do I have to drag them back to church on Sunday night? Why? This is just my opinion. You can do what it's worth. The Word of God never returns void. Never. Even if they sleep through half of it, 
even if they fidget through half of it, even if you have to take them outside three times and spank them and bring them back in, as long as the Word of God is being preached and it is listening and through their ears, they will get something from it. You say, oh, Jake, but I, you know how hard it is to discipline children and, and you don't know how so stubborn and, and difficult my kids are? You know what I have learned from most kids? A lot of that stubbornness comes from their parents. We call it leadership as adults. We call it stubbornness than them. But it came from them watching and learning it from us. Much of it's the sin nature that we have being passed down to them. And so this morning I want to encourage you to remember to do things God's way. Whether it is as a church, whether it is a family, if you will do things God's way, God will honor it. But don't cut corners in the little areas of your life because it makes sense. You see, this would have been most likely between a 5 to 11 mile journey. We don't know exactly where the city was, but anywhere between 5 to 8 miles. 5 to 11 miles. And so, if I'm David... I'm probably thinking, I can get this Ark of the Covenant from this town to Jerusalem, and the fastest way at this time would have been not a truck. It was a supply chain not caused by the president. It would have been an ox and a cart. And so David is just doing what he thinks is best. He's probably forgotten these commandments because why? It had been gone for a while, whatever the reason is. But what he should have done is done it God's way. It would have taken longer to carry the ark on the shoulders of four men. It would have taken the city and the whole people longer to follow. They would have done it this way. But friends, just because it takes longer, or it seems more difficult, or it doesn't seem like the method that the world would prescribe, doesn't mean it's not the way that God blesses. Don't miss that this morning. The world says do it this way. The world says go at this speed. The world says this looks best. But trust that God can bless His ways better than yours. Trust that God can work in His ways of being a parent better than yours. Trust that God can honor His way of prayer better than the world's. Listen to how the first five commandments start out in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 3. God gives us some pretty specific instructions on how He wants to be loved and worshipped. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Don't miss that this morning. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who keep love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who has taken his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Friends, you see, God has given us specific instructions. And this morning, the challenge that I have and the challenge that you will have is say, yes, but God, do you know how busy I am? God, do you know what I was raised like? God, do you know what I need to accomplish? God, is not that big of a deal. But yet this morning, I hope to show you that God wants your worship. God deserves your praise. God wants to bless you. But He will only do it one way. And that is when you and I come and say, God, you're worthy of it. And God, I will do it whatever the way you want it to be done. God, I trust you. Third and final thing. Please stay with me. I promise I'm almost done. We should trust what God can do in our life. We should trust what God can do in our life. Because here it says David was angry. David was not angry at God. David is just angry at the whole situation. But look what it says here in verses 9 through 12. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And don't miss this. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edim and all of his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edim and all that belongs to him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edim to the city of David with gladness. Now I don't want you to miss this. David's failure and David's fear stopped him from fulfilling what God wanted him to do. He says, well, I don't want the ark in the covenant. If God's going to strike people down, if God's going to deal with us like this, we'll just park it over here in this other person's house. He can deal with it. And that's how most people deal with God. Right? I need God when I need something. But when my life is going well, God, you can just sit over here in someone else's house. God, you can go over here and deal with other people. But God does something to the house of Obed. He begins to bless it. Not only his house, but everything that he's involved with. Everything that he does, his business, his his family begins to be blessed because of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And David realizes something. I'm missing the blessing of God because of my fear and my failure. I don't want you to miss that this morning. Because your fear of what other people think of you, your fear of what other people are going to say about you, your failures in the past that you've done and that you can't let go of will hinder you from what God is wanting to do in your life. Do you ever think David looked at his life and thought, man, us is my fault. If I had just put the ark on the poles and carried it God's way, that man would still be alive. You see, we don't like to think that way because we just blame it on God. 
God was going to do that no matter what. God had that plan. God had purpose. All that. David sinned, Uzziah sinned, and the consequences were evident. Friends, if God's people really want to experience the blessing of God, this is what I believe we have to do. One, we have to get along with God and we have to own our mistakes. God, here I am, a sinner. God, I know I have sinned against you. God, I know I've not always been the parent I should have been. God, I know I shouldn't have always been the husband that I should have been. God, I've not always been the pastor that I should have been. God, I have made mistakes and sinned and fallen short. And God, I am sorry. God, show me the areas of my life that I have sinned. And show me what I need to do. God, not just to make it right with you, but right with others. You see, David's sin didn't affect him. It affected another man, another person. Then it affected the whole nation because they wouldn't take the ark where it was supposed to go. You see, friends, we have to be willing to say, God, I need you to forgive me. God, I need you to restore me. God, I need you to work in my relationships. God, I need you to help me to apologize to that person. God, I need you to help me forgive that person. God, I need you to help me trust you in this situation because I've not trusted you. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a new pandemic on its way. Monkeypox. A monkeypox is nothing to laugh about, but it makes you sick, chilly, fevers, but it's not life-threatening to 99.9% of people. But yet, the leader of the free world said... Everybody should be worried. Friends, fear will control you if you let it. And Satan always wants to operate in the realm of fear. You can't trust God for your health. You can't trust God for your wealth. You can't trust God with your family. You can't trust God with your relationships. You can't trust Him. You have to rely on something else. And this morning, God wants you to know that your fears will destroy you. Your fears will rob you of your joy. Your fear will rob you of what God wants to do in your life. And you have to know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. When I started preaching verse by verse, I had a seminary professor who said, Jake, that's great, you should do that, but you need to know it will cause you great problems preaching verse by verse. And if you really want your church to grow and to thrive and to be all that God wants it to be, all that He wants it to be, there are some things you just shouldn't talk about. But yet my Bible says that all Scripture, all of it, even the stuff I don't like, and this book is full of stuff I don't like, Verses on pride, verses on selfishness, verses on, on the flesh and the sins of the flesh. All of those I read and think, oh, but Lord. But I believe something this morning. I believe that when God is in it, little is much. You say, oh, Jake, that's such a kid's song. It doesn't matter. I believe it. I believe that when God is involved in a church, when God is involved in a marriage, when God is involved in a family, when God is in control of your life, God can do things in your life and in mine that the world cannot explain, that people cannot understand. 
And it's because of this. Because in Isaiah 55, God explains who He is and how much different He is than us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, this morning, if we will just trust Him, and we'll obey Him, God can do things in our life that the world cannot explain. You say, Jake, I don't understand what that means. Jesus came as a suffering servant, as a carpenter's son, as to someone of no reputation in the world's eyes, but yet conquered the greatest problem and defeated the greatest enemy that could ever be defeated, and that was death and the grave. You see, the world thought he should come this way, but the Father sent him this way. The world says now that we serve a dead Savior. The world says that we serve a God who can't. They don't see him for who he is. But the Bible says he's coming back one day. And he's coming back as the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe he's going to call those of us who are here into the air with him. I believe the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we're all going to meet Him in the air. I can't explain it. I don't have it all worked out, but I don't have to. All I got to do is either die or fly. One of the two. That's it. But I can tell you there will be a world that mocks Him. There's going to be a world that defies Him. But one of these days He will say enough is enough. And He will make His enemies His footstool. Why? Because God doesn't do things the way we would do things. He doesn't do things in the timeline that we do them because He is God. And His ways are above ours. And this morning, my greatest word of encouragement to you today is, if you're blessed and He is blessing you, don't forget Him or the way that He wants you to do things. But this morning, if you're here and you feel like you are drowning, if you feel like the problems of this life, the problems of this world, the problems that you are facing are overwhelming you, just hold on. One of my favorite songs is that the Lord is right on time. It's an old song, the McCamey sang it, and I won't sing it just because I would hate to do it, an injustice. But He's always on time. He sees your struggle, He sees your hurt, He sees your pain, and He knows what He is doing if you'll just trust Him. And the greatest way I can explain that to you this morning is this, with the gospel. The world says that you're not that bad. The world says that you don't have that sin. The world says that you're just who God wants you to be. But yet the Bible says something totally different. The Bible says you and I are wicked in every way. The Bible says we have rebelled against God. We have run from Him. That sin has separated us from Him. But yet He still loves us, and I do not know why. He loved us so much, not only did He just want to show that, but He lived it out by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live a perfect life and to die upon a cross, to take the punishment for your sin and my sin and to be buried. And he died, literally died for the sins of the world. But yet even though Satan thought he had won, the world thought they had won, 
the Father's ways were not their ways. He rose him from the dead. And by rising from the dead, Jesus conquered sin and death and the grave. And friends, today if I will repent of my sins, that means turn from them and turn to him. I can find forgiveness. I can find hope. And I can find a relationship with a God who loves me. And so this morning I just want to encourage you. It doesn't matter what your marriage seems like today. It doesn't matter what your kids seem like today. It doesn't matter if you think you've made a mess of everything. Trust Him. Return to Him. And watch what He can do in your life this morning. I promise you, He is worthy to be praised. Father, I thank You so very, very much for Your Word. Lord, You know it's not the sermon that I would have preached. It's not the topic that I would have wanted today, God. But I trust You. I trust, God, that only You can change hearts. God, only You can build Your church. God, only You can do what You're doing. And so, God, today I pray that You would help each and every one of us to trust You in what You're asking us to do. Father, to step out in faith and obedience, but, Lord, knowing that You are a correcting God, a loving God. And so, God, I pray for the parents in this room. I pray for the graduates. I pray for the grandparents. God, I pray for those who are struggling. God, that you would remind them that you are big enough to work and move in their life, to bless them in every situation. But God, you are personal enough to know every sin, every struggle, and everything in our life that hinders what you're wanting to do. And so God, I pray today that you just speak and work and move all for your glory. And God, help us to be the church that depends and trusts on you in everything that we say and do. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.